Welcome to the show, where my friends and I tell real-world stories of otherworld magic. My name is Peyton, and I'm into it. Welcome, everybody. My name is Peyton Turner, and I'm into it. And so is my amazing guest today, Gina Millard. Um, So welcome, Gina, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Good to see you, uh, Peyton. Yeah, I'm it's this is a really um, fantastic moment for me because not only are you um, a great friend and confidant, but you're also one of my mentors and you're one of my healers. Like you're on my personal healing team. So you cover a lot of bases in my life and it's just a real joy for me to sit in this space with you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, I just love getting to know you. I've loved working with you. I've loved working at, alongside you in, in circles. So good so to see fun. you. Thank you. So let's just start off with um, telling the audience a little bit about what you currently do. Okay. That's, that's good because that narrows it down some. Yeah. Um, I am a shamanic practitioner. Okay. And that will take us on a journey of what is shamanism? What does it mean to be a practitioner? Um, but I guess the in a nutshell is, and you know this well, Peyton, and I know you've also talked about it on your Intuit um, podcast, is that shamanism, it, for me, is a way of life is a beautiful way of being. Um, you know, I say beautiful in the middle of the work, sometimes, sometimes it can be intense. But what it is, is the recognition that everything that surrounds us, everything that is part of this world and beyond is, is energy, has life force on some level, even if we don't readily see it. Um, And as shamanic practitioners, our job is to be able to communicate with that energy, to receive messages. It's also our job to be in sync with it because we're not really separate from it. We are part of nature, the rhythms of nature. It's a whole heck of a lot easier on a shamanic path because you're working with the rhythms of nature rather than butting your head against it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also the recognition that spirit the spirit in all things isn't separate from us. We work with the spirit within as well. Mm -hmm. So my work includes, you know, pre, pre this time, pre 2020, I was teaching monthly shamanism classes. Um, I I see clients in, um, in a couple of ways. Usually they want, a lot of times they want to explore. They just want to learn. They want validation from what they've already are in the midst of experiencing. And sometimes people come on their healing journey. Mm -hmm. I'd say a vast number, but not all people have um, done years and years of professional therapy, have done some deep work and all. And just there's this one little missing piece um, that, that, that they feel they just want to connect with. And that's what we do. You know, I take people's intention for their session. I journey, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, get information from spirit. And together we work on what needs to shift. Mm -hmm. 
That's okay. And I do a lot of work with animals. Interesting enough, in early 2020, a lot of um, the work was with animals because yeah. they are sovereign beings too. It's so funny. I, I love listening to this explanation from you because as you're explaining what you do, it's it's reminding me of all the interactions that you and I have had. So I've been a student of yours in some of your classes that you've taught. Um, I've been on your healing table several times um, and you've done a reading for my dog, Charlie. <laughs> uh, you've also um, helped to shift the energy in my home, um, which I don't know if that's something that you're still doing, but for me, that was profound. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a really, and, and I love the, you know, when I look at all those different pieces, it's the teaching, it's the healing, it's the communicating with animals, communicating with even what we think might be in inanimate objects like a home. Um, but from a, a shamanistic perspective, all of those things have energy and they're all connected. And I, I always think about, um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Avatar, but I think that James Cameron must have really studied his shamanism before he created that movie, because there are several scenes in there where it shows the energetic connection between all of the living things, almost like a web, yeah. a web, you know, of, of energy channels. It makes me think of the meridians that acupuncturists rely on um, that run through the, the energy channels that run through the body and, um, and how those actually extend out to connect to everything in our environment. You know, um, yes, yes on that. And I also think about so many, um, and it can be Disney, the newer Disney movies too, you know, and some of the, some of the literature, some of it, some of it, a lot of it has that thread of what I would call shamanism or energy work, you know, running through it. And isn't that just perfect? Isn't that just the natural thing? Because shamanism isn't something new. It yeah. comes from way generation. It comes from first peoples and probably even before. Um, so I, I love picking up on that too. You know, the, the, I have nieces and nephews, and um, but you know, I even go to Kung Fu Panda with the energy exchange. <laughs> I know. Right. Right. And there's this whole, there's another movie out on the Disney channel called soul, which I haven't seen yet. I have I hear is very much in line with the kinds of things that you and I, you know, see and practice on a regular basis. And so for me, what that, that the hope is for me is that the, it's starting to normalize. And that was the whole intention around this podcast was to really normalize um, this connection to spirit um, because it is normal. Yeah. It is, it's normal. Um, you know, before we talk about journeying and, and some of the different aspects of shamanism, I want to go back to something that you said in your explanation of what you do. And it was really beautiful. You said that um, in order to do the work, we have to be in the work. So um, in order to practice shamanism and, you're in, and to help people get better connected to the natural world, we ourselves as shamanic practitioners have to remain connected to nature. And so what that, yeah. it, and so what that means is that at times in our lives, we are disconnected from that. And I'm wondering if you could speak to um, how that shows. I certainly know how it shows up in my life. And it is a, it is a practice of always making sure I, and I call it staying in alignment or, um, but it's, it's, it's this practice of constantly checking myself and saying, okay, am I in alignment? 
with my truth? Am I in alignment with spirit? Am I, you know, honoring and staying, staying in my own work? And so, because there's lots of times I get pulled out of it and then I come in and then I come back and then I get pulled out and then I come back. So I'm wondering how that shows up in your life now, or maybe how it showed up in your life. You know, it's always changing, but can speak, can you speak to that and how it shows oh, up? Gosh, you? Absolutely. I'm, I'm biting my tongue here as you're yeah. talking because yeah. I have the overwhelming urge to say, Oh, Peyton, you're human. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo. <laughs> yeah. And, and we don't want to lose that. I mean, we have been gifted human bodies, the gift of life, the gift of experience. And walking a shamanic path doesn't negate any of that. Stuff still shows up, mm-hmm. you know, and we we you know the work is is the the tool or the access to coming back to center coming back to ground Mm -hmm. Um, yes yes you know i think we think of a lot of you know just in the course of our lives and i'm sure people in this audience are maybe of all different ages of course you know we come into this world and we are wide open in a lot of respects. Um, children take to shamanism very easily because they haven't been told that's just your imagination or you shouldn't or there hasn't been a groundwork of fear-based learning mm-hmm. that keeps them, you know, from going out of their box. So we, we come into this life, we're children, we, we are um, educated by parents, by society. We move through education. At some point, we're going into the professional world. We get really, really busy. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, there's a imbalance or a disconnect or what we would call in shamanism, probably an initiation of sorts. We come to terms that there's either something more than this or that we something isn't serving in some way. Yeah. Usually, or, or somebody gets pulled to the mystery, mystery and wants to go further. That may be an easier road of sorts. Mm-hmm. And so in shamanism, you know, we come back, we come home to the way of our indigenous ancestors. Um, the ones that communicated with spirit because they had to, it was their way of life. It was the natural way. And so we now coming to the work, a lot of people come to the work, you know, when there's a space in their life, either that's been made that they're able to step out of the hamster wheel and say, okay, mm-hmm. what's, what's going here? Or they come out of crisis. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that isn't unusual. And so our job before we ever step into healing work with someone else, which shamanism is an exhaustive, an exhaustive, exhaustive search or stalking of our own beliefs that don't serve, Mm -hmm. our own vulnerabilities that are being covered up or not fully understood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about getting in touch with your soul, the spirit within and living that spirit fully. And that, that takes courage. That takes courage because it, you're. Yeah, it really does. And I, okay. So I love, I want to break this down a little bit. So, and I love this. So there's some, there's some terms that were used that I want to explain like initiation, but, um, you've painted a beautiful picture of we're born 
into the natural world and of the natural world. And then um, life happens Mm -hmm. and society happens and adulting happens. And we get really, really busy um, managing the box that has been created most of the time for us that we don't even create ourselves. We're under the illusion that we're creating our lives ourselves, but in actuality, most of the time it's, you know, parental figures or mentors or uh, school systems or um, societal systems that are creating this, this box that, in, in which we're supposed to live. Yeah. Um, and then something happens and we, and we're made aware of the fact that it's not working anymore. Yeah. And, um, and th- that's the, the aha moment. And um, that's what you would call um, an initiation of sorts. And then cho- should we choose to accept the call to try something different. Um, there's a whole process of healing that occurs and, and learning and unlearning and all this kind of beautiful thing. So taking that beautiful image that you've just given, tell me about you and how that happened for you. The initiations of my life is that. Yeah. I mean, and really specifically, like, how did you, what would your life like before you got the call to step into this work? Because obviously, and, well, not obvious, maybe not obviously for the listeners, but you know, you get the, you get the initiation, you get the call, you're made aware of shamanism, you're drawn to it, you step into it. And then the work never stops. It's a constant, it's a constant work and rework and heal and reheal and all this, all that. Um, But there was your life before shamanism. And then there was something. Yeah. (laughs) And then there was a, then there was a calling and, and I don't know much about it. I, you know, I, I do remember at one point you said to me in a conversation to always ask for things to come with grace and ease <laughs> because yes. you, know, you ask, you know, if you're trying to manifest something in your life, always ask that it come with grace and ease, because if you're a powerful manifester, it can literally like the next day, your whole life could flip. Yeah. So, so there's a story there, your story that I'm dying to hear. Okay. Well, it may be a longer story. What you'd like to share, right? Oh no, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, the, this may be a longer story than you anticipated, though. Peyton. Yeah, and it's it's just like you know, I want to I want to know like what was the call like, right? Like what what was the moment, and what was your life like before? What was the call like, and how has your life been transformed? Okay. Um, well, it, it's an interesting story from my point of view. Other people, if you feel like you're going to yawn, feel free. But mine started early, very early. Um, and I wouldn't have used the word shamanism back then because I was two and three years old and didn't know the word. Mm-hmm. But what I did know, it, it involved it involved ancestors. It involved connection to the beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very verbal when I was young mm-hmm. and, and in my dream time, each night when I would go to sleep, I would go to the beyond, the beyond, the beyond. Mm-hmm. And when I was three, when I had just turned three, um, my brother was born and he only lived 11 days and it, it was a huge turning point. I, I believe that's right. 11, huge turning point for our family, especially my mom. And I wasn't understanding grief. I have vivid memories of my early childhood. Mm -hmm. And so, but I knew where he was and I know where he continues to be. So life goes on. So there's that connection with spirit, that going to the beyond. I believe I was journeying at night. 
yeah. um, bodiless travel to two realms that I've been to since. So um, even though I was born in Queens, New York, you know, the most amazing, amazing experiences of my early childhood were in nature. I saw huge trees fall at my feet. There was an ice storm that stopped New York and I crawled out onto the expressway. My mother didn't know this until five years ago when she <laughs> but stood with my, there was no traffic on it. I, that in itself is a miracle, but stood with my coat wide open and the wind blew me down the road. There was all this how magic. Old, how old were you when that happened? That's amazing. I think between six and seven. I know I was out of kindergarten and, you know, and a little friend came with me, but she ran back home. And when I told my mother the story, she said, it was your fault. You, you know, anyway, continued, continued, continued. Um, you know, I could go on and on. But probably the biggest thing that happened, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease um, 21 years ago which left me with no feeling below my shoulders and lots of things changed. And at that point, even medically, I started searching out um, alternative care. I saw a natural practitioner within two, and this is my personal story. It's not the same for everybody, no. but within two months, I was all up from seeing her, which was two years after the diagnosis, I was off a huge amount of medication just big, big changes. And I studied with her a lot of um, Buddhist teachings and work with presence and exhaustive um, study of the Tibetan book of living and dying. And mm -hmm. so things just kept accumulating, accumulating until, till the hit that left me unable to string my words together. I had a really hard time communicating. Is this from the MS? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I, I don't claim it. I just say I've been diagnosed. Gotcha. So, yeah. And, and I, so, yeah. And I apologize that, that, that just came right out of my mouth. So but, I'm okay with that. But an autoimmune disease. Yeah. yeah. It's not mine. It's a diagnosis that's stamped somewhere Absolutely. on my chart. And, you know, and, and thank you for saying that because I feel like, and having myself having, and not to interrupt your story, but myself sure. having been in the medical world for so long, people define themselves by their medical chart. And they don't have, they're not given the voice or the power to say, um, that's not me. Yeah. Like they take that on as being them. Yeah. So just that gift for you being able to say, that's not me. That's something that's in my chart. Yeah. Is really powerful. Okay. And so in that story, that was more than an initiation. That was a dismemberment. I was physically torn apart. Mm -hmm. You know, and shamanically, we always look at initiations and dismemberments as opportunities for healing because mm -hmm. we shed what doesn't serve in some way and we get remembered, put back together in a way that going forward is better, mm -hmm. serves us well. And what I've come to see in working with people on the other side of an initiation and definitely is dismemberment. There's usually um, a boost in your spiritual awakening. You know, something it gets ignited. Mm -hmm. um, your intuition goes up. There, there's all this stuff, I mean, that we would call gifts. But for someone walking through it, you don't want to say, where's the gift? Because they're likely to slap you at that moment. Because right. in the midst of it, you're fractured. 
Mm-hmm. And so to, to just hold space, to, you know, to understand, to see those people in their, um, in their most vibrant, if you can. But then on the other side, so here's the story. Here's the calling. Um, I went to a local meditation circle run by my dear friend, teacher, mentor, who, who you work with as well, Barbara Blecker. Mm-hmm. And I went with sheer terror, <laughs> not because of Barbara. <laughs> well, I was getting ready to say maybe because of Barbara, who's all, who's, who's graciously um, accepted an invitation to also be on this podcast. So she'll be later down the road, but yeah, um, Barbara's a force. And so I went, that wasn't the, I love her. Um, (laughs) You know, I went because I knew I would have to speak in public or speak and I couldn't string. So it was like forcing. I had been working in special ed with kids for a long time. And now, you know, they got it because all the kids were having word retrieval problems. So I was part of the tribe. Um, But yeah, so I went and then she started talking shamanism. And I realized, and I took a class with her, it was myself and one other person. And I realized that the word she was speaking put the framework around my whole life. Every truth I understood, the connection with nature, the connection to spirit, the just being. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so that, that is how I came to the work. You know, I took years of classes with her and then with others as well with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies and other people. Um, it's been a journey that works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, I never intended to teach. I never intended to, you know, be a practitioner in the, ter- in the way of formally seeing other people, supporting other people office space, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. until Barbara turned one day and said, okay, she was talking to a group of us, you know, this one thing. No, I don't, but I can, as you're saying the words, I, I can see the look on her face and I can hear her voice in my head. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so you are just doing this work because you're wanting to learn much like you dove into the Buddhist. um, Yes. It's so that I could do my own work. So I can do my own excavation, my own digging, my own clearing, my own, you know, getting to my soul's purpose. And she says in class, she says, okay, it's time. It was a small group. It's time for you people to start teaching. And I'm sitting there like this. She says, who wants to volunteer? And your hand was up just for those of you who are listening and are not watching the video Gina just so happened to be sitting in a place where her hand looked like it was raised, but it wasn't. So, yeah. So things just rolled from there. I mean, you know, I, I became, you know, I had to make a a huge job change for an unexpected reason. Mm -hmm. Shortly after I taught my first series of classes, which led to more and more and more and people started coming. I mean, it just, the path at that point, well, this is what came through the journey that I'll give you later. The path at that point was effortless. Yeah. And I just, so I love the teaching aspect too, because, um, well, I know what teaching has done for me, um, in the different things and subjects, which I have taught. So, but for you, how has turning around becoming student 
and, um, and someone who's being actively healed by the practice of shamanism, then turning around and becoming teacher, how has that deepened your practice, your healing, your connection? How has that changed? Well, I, I guess it, I guess it's this. I mean, I will be a learner, a student until I leave this earth and likely beyond and likely lifetimes forward. Um, that part never ends. When I think about the healing practice, I have the incredible blessing of sitting at the foot or at the end of the table from people who are doing their healing. I am the one who opens the door. I, you know, I'm just a vehicle. It's not me doing the healing. You know, when you said you were on my healing table, I was holding space, you know, and channeling spirit. You did the healing. You know, it, it's not me doing it. Um, it's spirit working through and it's, it's the person receiving. It's me receiving if I'm, you know, saying, okay, I'm open, mm -hmm. you know, I, there, let's get, let's get to the root of it and let's reclaim any power that was lost along the way. Oh, thank you for saying that because my, 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 my experience with shamanism has been that it is even at the times when I feel like I've lost all control, it's an empowering experience. It's all designed to give you your, to highlight or give you your power back. Everybody, yeah. every, for every person involved. Yeah. Um, and so when you, when, um, when we come for a healing session, or I'll just speak to my experience with you. When I've come for a healing session with you, what it looks like is, is you have an office and you have a table that's, that's a, like a Reiki table, like a massage table. And it's, um, you have all of your, um, all of your tools there and um, you've done a, um, like a diagnostic journey, um, which is one of the tools that you use. It's kind of like a meditative state by which you can access your own spirit guides and, um, and tap into that greater energy source to, to get healing information and messages for me or any other client. Um, and we sit down and we talk about that. And then if there is like an energetic healing that needs to also take place, you offer that. And I say yes or no. And I always say yes. And then I lay down on the table and then you go to work. And just like you said, it's not you doing the work. And I want to throw in the terminology of being a hollow bone, which is something that um, indigenous people, at least the, from the readings that I've done, they, that's what they, they try to achieve the space of being a hollow bone. And so can you speak to what that is and how you get to that place? Like what it takes for you, like what does it mean for you to be a hollow bone and how do you get to that place? It's one of the most important things for me in the healing container, let's mm -hmm. say, um, because anytime I, you know, I firmly believe we're all one, but that that's a whole nother story, but we're all part of the same energy. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack for one minute from the okay. hollow bone and lead right. into it is that you, you spoke about your experience, what a session looks like. Mm -hmm. From my perspective on this end, when someone comes for session work, that's where the work begins. 
Oh, thank you so much for saying that, right? Yeah. Because I've booked a session a week or so, even more ahead of time. And the actual work begins when I make the commitment to show up. Yeah. And that's the same if you take a class yes. or, you know, a larger workshop or whatever. Um, so you, you think you're waiting for 12 o'clock on Friday? No, and, that, and that's so true. I remember I signed up to do a workshop. It was a whole day workshop, a journeying workshop with you. It may have been your introduction to journeying workshop several years ago. And um, the night before I got really, really like, I just thought I was going to throw up and pass out. I'm like, what is happening? I was at my friend's house having um, like hors d'oeuvres with her family. She was in town from Colorado. And I thought, you know, I really um, just need to go home and lay down. And then and then it eventually passed. And then the next day we got there into the workshop and you said something like, you know, who didn't feel well last night or something like that. And like half the class, you know, <laughs> lose their hand because that's because they know it's like spirit knows that you're coming to do the work and they're, they're actually doing the work. Once you say yes, either with a down payment or like a, you've signed up and put your name on the roster or whatever, once you've committed, then you're in the work. Yeah. And, you know, the beauty of it is, though, you always have choice. Right. Because what I tell people, whether they come for a class, whether they come for a session, try to stand as an observer. Watch what shows up between the time you say yes and the time you walk in the door. Mm -hmm. What gets in your way? What kind of beautiful things happen? Have you got a hawk sitting outside your bedroom window in the tree? You know, it can be any number of things, but it can be anxiety or it can be like one of these. And I, from my perspective, part of that is because the soul or the spirit within has some sense of how big the work is. Mm -hmm. And there's this, moment that if you're not able to sit purely, like we talked about, purely as the hollow bone, the channel being in pure presence, mm -hmm. um, you might say, oh, I'm having an anxiety attack. Not that that is necessarily the way it's always felt, but you might attribute it to something else. When you sit as the hollow bone, the clear channel, you're, and we all have stuff, we all have things that might trigger us or vulnerabilities. That because, we're, because we're human. Yeah, because we're still human. Yeah, yes. Um, that gets put out here, though. We come to center. We come to clarity and all that. And that's why it's important to do the stalking work so that you know what your triggers are. You know where your vulnerabilities are. You know, we are not the practitioner for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to, to recognize that too, and not everyone is the, the person I'm supposed to work with is the right um, person for me. So, but to be as clear as possible, because the clearer you are physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that you're giving spirit a clear, more clear channel mm -hmm. to, to work through. And that's just the work becomes more powerful that way. Yeah. And, this, and to clarify the stalking work, um, I, I want to, when you say stalking, and I know what that is from a shaman, yeah. the language that I use around that, and correct me if this is yeah. not, if this is wrong, but is really having an understanding of your humanness and your ego, like where that comes in and what, yes. because that's what gets triggered. Our human trauma, our human, our, our humanness is what gets triggered yes. um, by emotional 
fear-based things. Um, and, and having, and stalking that is really just a way of being really um, mindful and aware of what our triggers are, of what our ego looks like, of how it shows up, what it feels like in our body and being able to kind of, no, no, when I, when I go into journey, I kind of try to peel that piece of me off to the side so that I am as hollow of a bone as I can be. I am like a clear conduit, like, and there's no human ego piece, like trying to get in the way and muck it up. Is that kind of what you mean by that? There's no sludge. And I totally thank you for clarifying that because the word stalking can be very intimidating for anybody who's had a different kind of experience. This is personal going inward work, you know, that often through the journey and to be shown where are things, you know, where, where are things, vulnerabilities that, you know, vulnerability is a powerful thing. I'm not saying vulnerability is bad, but where are potential things in our energetic field, in our body, in our, you know, in our spirit, all of that, that need to be looked at, you know, that needs some healing, that needs some attention, needs some understanding. And that's, and that's one of the reasons I think why I love shamanism so much is because in order to practice shamanism, you like, just like you said, you have to be in the practice. And when you're in the practice of it, then you're always growing and you're always looking at areas for healing within yourself. It's all about coming home, you know, Mm -hmm. and I love this concept. And I say it all the time um, of a dismemberment or when your world feels like you're being, it's falling apart or when literally your body is coming apart. And I've certainly had plenty of those myself. This dismemberment is actually, um, it happens so that we can then remember, like come back together, remember and remember who we are. Like remember the true nature of our soul. Absolutely. And, and so being in the work, if you're, if you're dedicated and truly in the work of being of service to others, you're also then being of service to yourself. Right. And so we're always, we're healing what, what needs to be healed within us. And so it's this beautiful synchronicity and this beautiful um, relationship with, you know, between our individual selves and then with um, other humans and other living beings and then the world around us. And I mean, hell, that's what we need more of. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think that, and I don't know from your perspective, but I feel like there's a real big sudden interest. Now, here we are sitting at the beginning of 2021, uh, coming off the cusp of 2020 and still in the muck of what the world has to offer us right now. And I think there's a real interest in shamanism. And it's really, it's beautiful for me because I think most people are thinking of it as something new when in actuality, it's a return. It's just a coming home. It's a coming home to the way that we're naturally supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I look at 2020 and all it brought, um, and I'm I'm certainly not the only one who feels this way. But you know, when you look at 2020, we've been put in time out largely. Mm-hmm. There's there's been COVID. There was the political unrest. Still, probably is the social unrest. All of it. All of it. That is a dismemberment. That, you know, that is a dismemberment of humanity. It's not this, this country only, it's worldwide. And so with all those, all that fracturing and all that, that we had to navigate, so many people, um, one, many people turn to anger, that anger, fear, and that's a, a normal human condition. 
So many people in the isolation piece were, were just that. They were sat in time out and they were forced. We, let me say we were forced to look at every little thing that shows up because in some way, all the outside noise was turned down to some degree. There was a lot of outside noise, but, but within your container, within your home, within your being, you, we were all forced to look at the little things, the, big, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a lot of people were saying, all this stuff shows up. I can't stop my mind. I can't stop my mind. And, you know, that was part of the initiation or dismemberment, whichever you want to term it at that point. But we look at this as a healing shamanically. Um, Would we get from point A to point B without having walked through it? Likely not. Not likely in the same way. We wouldn't get to this place. You know, just like in loss or illness or those kind of dismemberments, would we, in the middle of it, would we choose to walk through it to get to point B? Do we, you know, look back and say, gosh, darn, I experienced that? (laughs) No, no. But in some ways, it's the price we pay for the growth of our soul. I mean, there are they're just so difficult to walk through, to navigate through, but you get to a place of knowing, a place of development, let's say, that we would have never gotten to otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, I, and as you're saying this, I'm thinking about all of the initiations I've had, all of the tough times, you know, um, emotional, spiritual, physical. And yeah, when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like I would never, I would never have chosen this for myself. And then immediately now with the knowledge that I have, I'm like, and I did choose it for myself. (laughs) Number one, I did choose it. Um, And number two, I know um, that there's going to be another side. As long as I stay in the work and I, and I look for the lessons and I look for the growth edge, then there's always going to be the sun will rise on the other side. And then when you get on the other side and you look back, I mean, I can look back and I don't know how you feel about this pertaining to your life, but I can look back at all of the, dismemberments and initiations and be grateful for them. And I wouldn't change them for anything because it's really truly helped me step into the space of feeling so much more like myself. Like I never felt so much like myself as I do now. And I know that a year from now, I'm going to be saying, I've never felt so much like myself as I do in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. The beauty of it. Um, the, The looking back can be really, really powerful. Um, for myself, I know the, the dismemberment that I spoke about in my life taught me faith like nothing else mm-hmm. in my life has ever done. Um, and, and there's no going back on that. You don't lose that. Once you know it, you can't unknow it. Once yeah. you know it, you can't unknow it. Yeah. So then the last question I have for you, kind of piggybacking off of what you just said, is um, you know, and you see in, in your, in the people that you serve and in your community, how spirit has the power to transform. And, but I want to ask you, how have you been transformed by spirit? Okay. Um, there is a, a, I'm a Virgo. I would consider myself type A, maybe not by the look of this room right now or whatever. Um, There has been a gift in this. How have I been transformed? There is a surrendering process that happened in this work for me that I realized that I didn't have to be the controller. Mm. 
that I had to surrender the wheels um, to, to a higher power. And once you do that, it's terrifying. You know, if you're used to being a manager, it's, it's both terrifying and it's probably one of the most liberating things that's ever happened in my life because I know I'm guided. I know that every twist and turn leads to exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's, and that came through retrospect. That didn't happen by any means early in the, in the journey. But looking back, I can see every blip, every turn put me exactly where I needed to be. Sometimes I did it with more grace and ease. And sometimes I kicked and screamed through the whole process. Um, but, but that is the best, you know, that that's one of the greatest gifts for me. It, it, it's such a beautiful gift that when you finally get to the point where you can surrender. Yeah. I mean, I've had lots of points like that in my life. And it, specifically, I remember like a lot of stuff happens to me when I'm laying in the bathtub, when I'm just like, you know, soaking. Right. But I remember specifically like being just being in the thick of it. And this was like over, it was last year's at some point yeah. at the thick of it. I mean, physically feeling terrible, emotionally feeling terrible, like, you know, what the hell is going on? Like I was fine last week. Like what's happening. And finally just saying, you know what, God, spirit, whoever, I just, I give up, take it, take it all. I, I'm, st- I'm going to stop trying to plan, predict, or control this situation. I just, I will do anything that you ask me to do to feel better. And then instantly, boom, the yeah. release comes. Yeah. But, it's, and I, but you got to be pushed right up to the edge, right? You got to be pushed right up to the edge and you got to be willing to step off the edge of the cliff and just know that, that something's going to catch you when it looks like there's nothing there. And my experience has always been that if I can take that step into what seems like thin air, I am always caught by something way bigger and better and more magical than I could have ever imagined. You know, what I say to people often is, you know, when they're just on the verge of something that, you know, I want to make this change, but, you know, I'm just, it's just so terrifying, terrifying. That's the word I hear over and over again. Um, I know that there was nothing that I have done in my life that was worth doing that. And I say this over and over that didn't come with a measure of terror. Mm-hmm. And so if that, if I get that for now, it's a familiar feeling. If I get now you're like, yep, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the right way to do. That's, you know, t- take care. Are you here? You are check. Okay, great. Roll call complete. Let's move. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. There's an exhilaration to it. And the, you know, the thing of it is if we stay in the place of comfort, in the cocoon of comfort. Sometimes we need to be in the cocoon of comfort. I'm not demonizing this in any way. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when we stay in that cocoon, we'll never get to the place of, you know, the wings unfolding and just, you Mm -hmm. know, branching out and flying. So, you know, there's, it's part of the work is to, is listening to spirit, listening to the spirit within, what do we need? What direction? What do we need at this moment? And if it is to be in the cocoon for a period of time, so be it. That -hmm. can be a healing place, but not to get hold up in there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Gina, let's get to the next part of this podcast, which is so fun. And this is, you know, speaking of terrifying moments for me, you know, I, um, 
you know, what I do is I tune, I tune into spirit uh, mm-hmm. on your behalf with your permission yes. um, before, before we meet to interview for the podcast and, um, and get messages or symbols or whatever that they want to give me as topics for discussion. <laughs> so, um, and you have no idea. We haven't talked about, about what I got. And um, I, I actually didn't journey. Um, okay. I was in meditation this morning. Like I always, like I always do, you know, uh, in the morning and um, as often happens for me that I start to get little images throughout the day before I meet with, um, with somebody that I'm going to be doing a reading for. So I'm just going to, I've learned to just deliver these in the order in which they came. Okay. Um, so in meditation this morning, what I saw was a brief glimpse of you walking. So I got a side profile of you and you were wearing a crown and I had a long cape, like a, like a robe, like a queen's robe. Um, and what I heard was ask about the beauty pageant. <laughs> and, and then I was, and then I was shown um, like a, a princess Barbie doll. Okay. And, and, I, and then later I kind of felt like it may be connected to your father, but I'm not a hundred percent. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it was, but it was ask about the beauty pageant. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? This is Gina Millard. She's never been in a beauty pageant. And, no, I have not. and, and, and then actually I checked in with Blackhawk just briefly. And he said, ask, ask her about the beauty pageant. I said, okay. So here I am asking you about the beauty pageant. And I believe that the Barbie doll that then they showed me within the same image was, was a Cinderella. Cause then I heard, started hearing bibbity bobbity boo in my head, but at any rate, um, but the specific thing was ask about the beauty pageant. So does that mean anything for you? Yeah. And okay. Here's okay. Here I'm going to live my words right now because here's a measure of terror. This is like so full disclosure. Okay. And my dad in spirit, this is all on you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. It is about my dad. That's exactly where I went. Um, the crown and cape. My my full my full first name is Regina. Oh, okay. uh, which means queen. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Okay. Yeah, it really is. And my subsequent, I don't think they'll mind. I have a brother, Michael, Laura, and Jennifer. So when you think of Regina and these other names, there's kind of, for me, has always been a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find, oh, God, Peyton, I don't know if you want this or not. Yeah, I want it all, of course. <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't find out till years later, my dad named me and my mom, it was more my mom on the other ones. <laughs> and she found out later through a friend, common friend of theirs, when they found out my name was Regina, it was like, Regina, oh my gosh, she was the most beautiful girl in high school. I was named after an old flame. Or just, oh my god and yeah, that Regina and, and, was like beauty pageant queen type thing exactly exactly and to be honest with you I'm censoring it because it involved bodily parts which didn't come through in the translation well, maybe that's why they showed me the Barbie doll yeah yeah and so it you know that whole idea of you know him as a young person and what he would have been in the perfect woman and all that kind of thing is is way far from what fell off the tree here. So yeah, no, well, I'm not okay. a beauty pageant person or whatever, but it's that whole- But you're named after one. Yeah. And that yeah. name is Queen. Yeah. That is, 
beauty queen, <laughs> beauty queen, beauty pageant queen. Like, okay, great. I'm like, I feel so much better because I saw this and I know you well enough to know that you probably weren't. And if you were in the beauty pageant, you were most likely forced to be in one. No, so, no, 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 but, not okay. God, it's so great. Okay, cool. Thank I you for sharing this. that story. Oh, isn't that fun? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, the next thing that I saw, um, well, it, it was a pine tree. And then they came back and said cedar tree with a red cardinal in it. Um, and it was, I almost got the feeling like it was outside of a window somewhere that's familiar to you. And then, and then in the shower, um, I heard ask about the cardinal in the cedar tree. And then the message for you around that is to, is to, pay attention to the message that the Cardinal has to give. Okay. Okay. Cedar is important to me. I've worked a lot with cedar over the course of the years. It's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful aromatic um, wood. I did some um, turning of bowls years, a few years ago, which I probably will come back to. And it's, it's just one of those trees that I've worked with a lot Interesting enough, I know cardinals are very um, prominent in a lot of people's journeys and, and for meaning for them. It hasn't personally been for me, um, though I see them a lot and I just, you know, I love them and all. But every time I hear somebody talking about cardinal for me, it's a remembrance of a loved one. Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be, I, I'm not sure exactly why. And I know Cardinal in Kentucky. Now I'm from New York, as I said, Cardinal is, it has a whole nother meaning here too, but I'm, I guess I'm going to just, especially for this time, just when you see a Cardinal, especially in the winter, it's that bright, you know, sometimes that bright red against the gray. And yeah. so I'm going to take it as a personal message into keep celebrating, keep celebrating yeah. the vibrancy that comes through this time. I love that. And I, it may actually be something that happens in the, you know, a week from now, you might be sitting and looking out your window at a cedar tree and see a red, bright red cardinal, or I know yeah. you do a lot of work at Creasy Mayhan, so it may even be out there. So yeah. I'll really let you cool. know. Awesome. And then the last thing right before, actually, we jumped on the podcast, I kind of tuned in and, um, and I'm gonna have to read this verbatim, but, but what I saw was you standing in the dark with a sparkler, um, you know, like the kids, like 4th mm -hmm. of July sparkler in your hand. Um, and you drew a giant circle in the dark with the sparkler and you could see, you know, how the sparklers are where you can see the tracing of the light. And then, you know, just as soon as you drew the circle of light, the light disappeared and it was left a circle of smoke. And then you would step through the circle of smoke. And then you draw another circle of light that would then disappear and there'd be a circle of smoke and you'd step through. And what you said was, and we, this is what your words, you said, and we do this over and over again, walk through a circle of smoke where light once was to get to the other side by faith. Just because you can't see the light doesn't mean it wasn't or isn't there. Yeah. You know, make a t-shirt with those last words and please, you know, give it this. I mean, that's exactly how I feel about it. I mean, it's just a constant journey through. Yeah. I just have the image of you. I'm not taking it back to childhood or whatever, but the metaphor for what this journey is about, you know, constantly stepping into the unknown mm -hmm. over and over again, and it being illuminated really every step of the way, even when we don't know it is. No, very Thank you. Those yeah. are beautiful. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, very I love cool. this. 
Well, and then thank you. And thank you for being willing to be very vulnerable and, and, and share a somewhat raunchy story about your father. So I think that's really cool. Really cool. <laughs> Queen Gina, well, Barbara got a hold of this. She's never going to let that go. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then my probably my favorite part of, of the podcast is now um, you're going to give a gift to, to the audience. Yeah. So tell us about it. Okay. Um, when Pate and I first talked about this, I was so intrigued with the process, um, being able to go into this and know nothing about what we were going to talk about. And then the journeying that she did on the end or the meditating pieces that came through. So um, I did a journey for those of you who are listening. And all I did was ask, the intention was to do it for Peyton's interview, our interview together. And I just asked in the journey, what needs to be heard? Okay. And so with our journeys, we, we go to safe realms, we go to our guides, and we ask these questions. And what I was told initially, and it was by a fairly new guide, Mm -hmm. was that she told me, get your pen and paper. And when she came to me, she was stripped naked. And I've worked with her a little bit before, but not much. And I get your, there was a reason for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm going to read you exactly what came because she was specific about not, not just recall, write it down. Okay. And her words were, for one or many who have been stripped naked through trauma, loss, or vulnerability, you now have the opportunity to shed or harden. And she pointed to snake and turtle, snake on one side and turtle on the other. And, and the choice is yours. She said, look into the gazing pool or the mirror and see yourself through my eyes. I see your perfection, your strength, and your power. This is the time to live your truth and shine your light soul, your soul's light. And she said, beloved, you don't have to try. Just fully be, fully be, and change will come effortlessly. Wow. That's, I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless on that. That's absolutely beautiful. Oh, good. So and, I've let us down. and it's timeless. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, if you're listening, if you happen to listen to this podcast the day that it airs, or you listen to it five years from now, yeah. that's timeless advice. Yeah. It felt to me as if there were a particular few that needed to hear it as well as, as anyone who tuned in. So, And I feel like so many people feel stripped naked at this point in, in history. Yeah. So that's really beautiful. And that's, that's not, you know, here again, uh, I'll go back to this Shakespeare quote of nothing is either good nor bad until thinking makes it so. Yeah. So strip naked could be a, a terrifying experience or it could be something absolutely beautiful. It felt like the, a place of powerful vulnerability, mm -hmm. you know, just, just being, um, and there was no, and the choice then what to do with that. Mm -hmm. You know, do you need to be in that cocoon? Do you need to be under the turtle shell for a while? Or are you going to go the way of snake where you're going to shed? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's all in your own time, all, all when it's right. Yeah. Wonderful. Gina, thank you so much for joining me on this Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's actually Groundhog Day. Yeah. Which is amazing. And it's funny, I looked up uh, out of the spirit book about um, 
what to when to call on Groundhog. Um, you want to it, one of the times that you should call on Groundhog is when you want to explore any mystical or shamanic arts and practices. So, Groundhog Day was a good choice. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love really it. Really great. So, Gina, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, my website is shamansfire.live. Okay. I am on Facebook. That's an easy way. I also have a, a page, a Shaman's Fire page there as well. Um, and so either way, my contact information is on the website, shamansfire.live. Awesome. And I'll include that in my show notes. Okay. And just such a big thank you and virtual hug to you. Um for showing up today and being so amazing and, um, and, and vulnerable and sharing your gift with, with the audience in the world. So, um, again, my name is Peyton, Peyton Turner. Um, this is my amazing guest, Gina Millard, and we are both into it.